This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. In the last year, I think my company page has got over 110 million impressions on content. What? So... (laughs) Could LinkedIn company pages be the most underrated way to build an audience right now? That's what Daniel Murray thinks, and he's been building a massive audience using LinkedIn company pages for almost three years now. This was pre-pandemic, so it was 2019. I heard Gary Vee say like, You have to buy underpriced attention. And I saw LinkedIn had underpriced attention. Let me just start posting. Daniel is the creator of The Marketing Millennials, a newsletter and podcast focused on today's top marketing leaders and tomorrow's top stars. Daniel has more than 100,000 followers on his own LinkedIn personal page and more than 500,000 followers on his LinkedIn company page. What a company page lets you do is put out content at a more rapid rate. And also, once you start hitting a level of good amount of followers, I think it it just gets out in the feed more often. So in this episode, you'll learn how to use LinkedIn company pages well, some of the nuances to make your content stand out, when to use images versus text, and why your goal should be pattern interrupt. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode as you listen. You can find me on Twitter or Instagram at jklaus. Tag me. Let me know that you're listening. And if you're here on YouTube, hit subscribe. Leave a comment down below. And now, let's talk with Daniel. My mom... When I was growing up, I was an entrepreneur, and I used to go to trade shows with her. I used to see her work, and I just enjoyed the creative side of what she was doing. I didn't know that was called marketing at the time. I just knew that it was something that I enjoyed, and I became okay at at that time. And then I was more of a football and sports guy. I grew up in my parents, we immigrated from South Africa, so they didn't know the American school system. The only thing they knew that was commonality is sports. So we played sports a whole career and sports was my way to get my college paid for without having to my parents to pay for it. Going into college, I became an entrepreneurship major. Uh, because I didn't know if like marketing was the thing. I just knew I liked starting stuff because my my mom and I wanted to be like my mom. So I did an entrepreneurship and I started taking marketing classes and I was like, okay, this is fun. I understand this more. I could be creative. It's not structured and rigored like finance where you have to figure out a formula. Like the formulas always change. So I had an internship in college for Qualcomm and I got to experience marketing firsthand from like a big tech company and i was really enjoyed that and then after college uh, I, I knew i didn't want to go into sales or anything so i just picked the first marketing job and it was a marketing operations job and that's kind of how i landed into it but it was a whirlwind of just testing what i like that's why i became an entrepreneurship major because i didn't know if that was the thing i liked to do 
Yeah, I was going to ask you, you know, you just mentioned marketing operations and I see you've also spent some time in marketing automation. So I was going to ask you just to share kind of what those two disciplines are within marketing, because I haven't heard those terms used all that much. They're kind of sometimes interchangeable and sometimes not. So marketing automation, just think is the tech behind how marketing works. So managing your marketing operation, a market marketing automation platform, managing um, how those integrate with each other, managing how building campaigns in there, making sure the campaigns are tagged correctly, making sure they flow correctly. So it's basically the the plumbing. And then marketing operations are a little more broad where it takes in both tech and insights and you mix it with people. So it's basically the process building for the whole marketing teams from end to end and the buyer mapping. So how could I make the buyer experience better with our, our technology that we have? How could I make the marketing team more efficient with the data that we provide them, the tech we provide them? The easiest way to explain it to people is, and I like this analogy, is you go into a house, you look at the houses, marketing is all like the beautiful bedrooms and the kitchen and the outdoors and how it looks, but nobody ever goes and checks like, does the light switch work? Does the plumbing work? And that's like market operations. It's it's the connectivity of all departments, all all technologies. It's basically the connective tissue of marketing. I like that. And also hot tip for people watching this, if you're buying a house, get an inspection done. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I want to talk real quick about your experience learning marketing in college. I also graduated with a marketing degree, and there are very few things that I can point to as I learned this in my college marketing classes, and they were still relevant, and I still think about them. Is there anything that you learned in college that you still think about and apply today? The things that I did learn in college was came from college football more than it came from my marketing classes because I think what actually makes you successful in marketing are learning how to practice, learning how to be consistent, learning how to put in hard work and outwork people, learning competition, learning how to deal with things under stress. All those things were like the soft skills stuff that, and also teamwork. I think teamwork is a huge one too. All those soft skills, I can pull up anything that I learned in my marketing class. I think what college did do for me and not ragging on college is that it actually did give me direction to know that marketing was something that I is a little bit interesting to me. So that was a good part of it. It, it, it steered me into the right direction. But I think I could have been steered in the right direction if I just got, went to a company and started testing multiple Yeah, things. I'm not trying to rag on college either um, because I think college did a lot for me generally as well. But it seems like, and maybe this is just a function of how fast technology is evolving over the last couple of decades, it seems like it'd be difficult to even get through the review process to create relevant curriculum before that curriculum related to marketing today is no longer relevant. You know what I mean? Because it seems like everything is just moving so fast today in terms of what's working and, and how quickly it changes. Yeah, I mean, if I were to develop marketing curriculum today for mark like a marketing team i would i would look at one heavy on psychology classes learning how people think why they think why they do things copywriting knowing like how to write persuasively and how to do it learning how all the fundamentals of 
data, how how finance connects to marketing, how stats connect to marketing. I think those would be like good fundamental things to get me better at marketing. But they you go into some of these classes and it's very broad, very outdated case studies and stuff like that. But if you just if they just taught the fundamentals, I think a lot of people would be successful. I think a, a lot of marketers today still don't know the fundamentals. So that it could totally change a marketing degree if you just taught things that haven't changed in years. Great copywriting is still going to be relevant. Great design is still going to be relevant. Knowing people is still going to be relevant. It's just the technology, the platforms, the how things are executed are different. So instead of learning the how, learn the foundation of things. So what led to the Marketing Millennials, the, the project that you're spending most of your time on today? This is a funny answer, but it came from testing because I wanted to prove that LinkedIn had high organic reach and people in my company at the time didn't see it. So I was like, okay, let me post on my personal profile. And I was like, okay, I have a thousand followers and I'm getting 3000 impressions. This is pretty insane for like the ratio of what it is. As I started posting and growing, I was like, I need a place to have more creative ideas and the way I get creative ideas is from conversations and talking to other marketers. So I thought a podcast would be the great, great thing. And it also would allow me to do something I haven't done before and try something new. So I started the Marketing Millennials podcast just because I wanted to create more content for LinkedIn. The page, the LinkedIn page came about because I didn't want to only post podcast stuff on my LinkedIn page. I wanted to have separate the two things. But then I quickly realized that a LinkedIn company page should be treated like a personal page, but just specifically focused on a niche that you want to do. So instead of promoting a podcast and promoting things, it's more just like giving information, giving information, giving information, then posting a little bit about it, giving information. So more building up an audience on falling for something that you like and love, they like and love instead of promoting myself. And I think that's where... I started realizing that just giving long-term is the way to grow an audience. And then later on, asking is not even a big deal to my audience. When I say, go check out my podcast, they'll they automatically do it because I've done it. I've been giving them value for a year or two. When you say you were trying to prove a point and showing this company the reach that you can get on LinkedIn, when were you doing that testing, that initial testing? What year are we talking about? This was... Pre-pandemic, so it was 2019, and this is a, maybe a cliche thing, but I heard Gary V say like, "You have to buy underpriced attention." And I saw LinkedIn had underpriced attention, so I was like, "Okay, I could talk about something. I could talk about marketing. Let me just start posting on on LinkedIn about that." Since then, my thoughts on like why the why behind it has evolved and now I have a why that I do it and what what keeps me passionate about it. But at first was just pure proving people wrong that this platform could do something. And then now it's gone to a point where I saw like how much it how much content helps people, how much content isn't there out there that's great for marketers. And back to your point about college. I just, we didn't learn much in college. So I try to keep at least the relevant information that people can learn today that I feel like 
will make you a great marketer. So my whole thing came from learning from relevant people. And I totally know that people don't get served the great first boss out of college. And that's how you get lucky. If you get a great first boss out of college, you can accelerate your career. Or if you start a side project or become an entrepreneur, that also can accelerate your career. But if you don't, if you go down the normal route that a lot of people go, you get drawn a boss. The boss doesn't teach you. You you have to go find it, how to learn by yourself. So I try to create a place where people can learn marketing in a simplified manner. So you started posting to your own profile in 2019. Did the company page come about that same time frame or shortly after? No, the company page came, I would say, a year after that. Okay. So it took me a year to even like start a company. The Market Millennials wasn't a thing. It was just me posting. I didn't get much traction for like the first like six months. My content was all over the place because I didn't know how to create great content. I didn't know what how to stay niche. I didn't know. I didn't know what what works. But quickly, when I started reverse engineering what the best were doing in the platform, that started accelerating how I did things on the platform. And it took me time to just learn it because I was a marketing operations person. I never was in social. So it just was me learning the platform by doing and trying and failing multiple posts. But that's what's great about social media is if you post and it doesn't do well, nobody sees it and you could delete it. And if it does great, a lot of people sees it, but it's better to fail when nobody's looking than fail when you have a huge audience. So I'm glad it was failed a lot at the beginning and had some bomb posts that didn't do very well. Well, this is what kind of spawned this conversation is you're telling me how effective the company page for the marketing millennials has been. And I'm looking at it here and it has basically 440,000 followers as a company page. And I thought company pages were dead and worthless and nobody used them. And I'm looking at this and I'm saying, there's something here that I got to understand better. So for for me in this show, like I have a company page for the podcast, I have a company page for my newsletter, and literally the only posts on them are, hey, we don't post here. <laughs> Here's a link to the website, but you're you're getting me to think uh, down down the line of using it. So how should we be thinking about company pages on LinkedIn? How should we be using them? I like to think of it as a personal page but very focused on what you want, value you want to give the audience. So if you're talking about content creators, for example, all the, the, the content should be about how I help the content creators, how content creators could create better content, how to monetize your content. It should just be all about them in a fun, engaging way that's not linking back to your website or linking back. It should be, I'm just providing you as much value as possible. The way I like to think about it is you see these pages that blew up meme pages and finance pages and all these pages on Instagram where they shared a lot of like valuable stuff and they grew because it was just like the be- like good information about certain topics. I like nobody was doing that on LinkedIn. And I think think like people just thought of it as this is a company I work for. So I have to it's gotta be like a ticker of like what's going on in my company. And I think I flipped the narrative and said like this could be just a place to get his underpriced attention nobody's doing it well so if you do it well there's a lot of attention to be to be captured how i think about it as one think of it as a personal page don't think of it as your company because then you're going to start posting everything about your company 
to make it a, a source of value, be the best place for marketers to come get content, be the best place for content creators to get content, be the best place. Like third, I would say like, make sure your audience is actually on LinkedIn because that might not make it successful. A lot yeah, of people, a, <laughs> a lot of people, I am an advocate, but I don't think everybody should do a LinkedIn page because I think not everybody's audience is on LinkedIn. But I do think when channels have underpriced attention and when people, when there's huge value and you see these big companies with big followings, I think you can gain a following and also you can be a place on another platform where nobody's doing it. I knew Instagram was diluted with content. I knew Twitter was diluted with content. Nobody was posting from a company point of view on about marketing. There was other people doing it about other, which I later discovered. But when I was doing it, it was just focused on marketing and that's how I've grown it. I don't really ever have a CTA to go look at my podcast. Now I have a little CTA to go to my newsletter and stuff like that, but I don't outrightly say it. They go to my newsletter, I let people discover it. So it's all about value, value, value. And what it does is like organically people go find my podcast and my podcast up downloads go up organically people find my news that organically people talk about me i'm in the feed a lot and i'm in the feed double time because i'm posting from myself and marketing millennials and those are two distinct sets of content it's not like you're posting the same thing to both pages right yeah i think you got to think of your personal brand as what you want to be known for a company page is what you want the company to be known for what the company who is the company serving what people are doing totally wrong is they think of it as like let's share about our latest employees and our webinars that we're doing and they just make it about them 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 when why would someone follow something when it's just about you unless you just a company they want to work for which is not going to be your target audience After a quick break, Daniel and I talk about how he utilizes LinkedIn company pages, and later we dive into his strategy for pattern interruption. So stick around, and we'll be right back. If you know me, you know how much I believe in memberships. My membership is the core of my business, and earning an income directly from your audience is one of the most sustainable ways for you to become a professional creator too. So I want to tell you about today's sponsor, Uscreen. Uscreen is a beautiful all-in-one platform that helps content creators earn a living from their videos by unlocking predictable recurring revenue. You can host private live streams for your members, build an on-demand catalog of premium content, and Uscreen gives you a community hub to interact with your members too. They can access your community from their mobile phone, so your membership is right there in their pocket. With a Uscreen account, you get video hosting, an out-of-the-box website, full payment and subscription management, and plenty of third-party integrations too. And Uscreen makes it easy to get set up you get access to powerful website themes that are fully brandable with no coding skills required. Uscreen will even provide a dedicated success manager for you. Just about anyone that wants to make money from their content can do it with Uscreen. It's perfect for coaches, authors, influencers, and entrepreneurs in just about any niche. Right now, Uscreen is used by creators in fitness, education, news, kids entertainment, and more. That includes Yoga with Adrian and Creator Now, just to name a couple. Uscreen is the platform for building a video membership site that is great for generating a sustainable income for professional creators. If you create video content for your audience, I highly recommend checking it out. If you're interested in learning more about Uscreen, visit uscreen.link slash j. That's U-S-C-R-E-E-N dot link slash j and let them know that I sent you. 
This episode is sponsored by Podcast Movement. For the past decade, Podcast Movement has organized the world's largest gathering of podcasters, featuring thousands of attendees, hundreds of breakout sessions, panels, and workshops, plus the largest trade show in podcasting. Podcast Movement helps podcasters of all experience levels create, grow, and profit from their show. It's suitable for beginners, but you'll also have the opportunity to meet some of the biggest names in the industry. I've been to several Podcast Movement events, and not only is the programming incredible, but the culture and vibe are incredible too. It attracts thoughtful, empathetic, and collaborative people, which makes sense when you think about the medium of podcasting. Podcast Movement hosts two events per year. The first just wrapped up, but their flagship conference is happening August 19th through the 22nd in Washington, D.C. Attendees have the freedom to choose their own adventure across several different stages throughout the four-day event, not to mention dozens of amazing networking events, parties, and the expo hall floor. Tracks include podcast creation, video and live streaming, industry professional, plus several stages of curated programming from some of the top companies in podcasting. It's truly a unique event, and if you are a podcaster, I cannot recommend it enough. Right now, tickets are available at super duper early bird pricing. And as a Creator Science listener, you can save $50 on top of that by visiting podcastmovement.com science. That's podcastmovement.com slash science. Welcome back to my conversation with Daniel Murray. One thing I noticed with Facebook pages a few years ago was that if you weren't paying for ads, you didn't get your content into the feed very often. So I asked Daniel if LinkedIn prioritizes company pages differently. I actually see that when you post more times on a company page, it gets, it consistently gets the same amount of reach but if you post like multiple times on your personal page they actually throttle you a little bit so i think a company page is just a hidden gem of consistently putting out content it it has never i've never been like really throttled on my company page i also think the reach is very crazy on a company page for example in the last year i think my company page has got over a hundred and 10 million impressions on content. What? So, <laughs> so that's like telling you that like there is a lot of reach to go around and not a lot of people are doing it well. So like there's opportunity when not a lot of people are doing it well. And I'm, and I'm, I'm thinking from a consumer perspective, I can't remember ever seeing a company page post on LinkedIn and following it, but obviously people are doing it. So how do you how do you get people interested in following a company page versus a personal page? Because that does seem to be different behavior on LinkedIn versus other platforms. Like we don't really follow brands on Twitter. We don't really follow brands on Facebook or Instagram nearly as much. We, it seems like the culture wants to follow people. But what you're saying is LinkedIn, that behavior seems to be a little bit different. Um, I think it has both. I think you LinkedIn inherently people get followed a lot, but I think what a company page lets you do is put out content at a more rapid rate. And also once you start hitting a level of good amount of followers, I think it, it just gets out in the feed more often than not. Cause I think what happens is LinkedIn wants companies to post. So there's enough people posting, but there's not enough companies posting. So they want to show companies 
company's data mm-hmm. out there because otherwise what's the incentive for a company to create a page and be consistent on there and post jobs on their job board and pay to be a part of it so they want you to put put out content the thing is what's the little nuance which i'll say is that i don't think of my the page as a company page like i think it is like someone following like a meme page on instagram a lot of people are following meme pages on instagram like they're getting their best meme content they're getting their best like tweet content a lot of people are following like those type of pages on instagram a lot of people are following those type of pages on on tiktok it's just when you think of it as a like I'm posting from Olipop, for example, and I'm just posting about like, or like posting from a certain company, then the mindset's different. But I took the idea of not treat this as a company page, treat it as a page just where people can get a bunch of great content from it. And that's, you see it in, you see it all the time on Instagram, it works. Like, and you see people these big accounts like Bravo, if Bravo people follow Bravo accounts, sports people follow like Overtime and all those all those accounts. I see it as the same thing on LinkedIn, but like LinkedIn is where marketers are hanging out. So marketing content should be on LinkedIn. So I see it as a page where it's not a company. It's, it's a page of entertainment. Yeah. When you say meme, I think people, it would be easy for people to think that it needs to be funny or irreverent. But when I'm looking at the page here, there is some of that, but it's not the majority. Like the majority that I'm seeing is resharing helpful, kind of like value dense content, often from other marketers. So how do you think about that? If you're thinking about it as a meme page, how much do you think about humor and entertainment playing a role? I think it all depends on like who you want to be known for as a brand. I think marketing millennials, I want to mix a little humor into it because sometimes you just need a laugh in your business day. Like sometimes you just need it. But I also think it mixes in with like content that's valuable as well. I mean, a better name probably is like anonymous pages on like, but the anonymous pages will post like screenshots of like, their their tweets like all over or they have they put quotes like quote of the day and you just have to think of it as a place where it's easy to digest someone could do it very quickly really fast they get information quickly and they can go about their day and i think if i want to go network at a trade show i would need to refine my pitch to be a little broader because nobody not everybody does the same profession as me but if i was in a like exec a dinner just for like marketing operations or media people, I can talk more nuanced. Like what are some marketing ideas that could be simplified to the masses that they can, they can consume. It's fun. It's easy to digest. It could do. And the tweets, the reason I chose tweets were they interrupt the feed. There's a, a dark tweet on the feed. It interrupts all like the white text posts. It's big. So it's easy to spot the text really fast. And it's basically like a headline. If you want a headline, people can easily read it, react quickly, and then go on their feed where long posts you have to commit yourself to. It does seem that when I see people sharing screenshots of tweets and things on LinkedIn, they are typically choosing like the dark mode, black background, which I'm starting to realize has probably been tested and probably been seen to show higher engagement. Have you seen that with using the dark mode black text background on a tweet versus light mode white text? I mean, I did this like a year and a half ago before, like I saw a lot of, not many people, I don't even see, I think many people were even posting tweets. They were maybe were posting like white 
background tweets, but I was like, okay, let's do a dark mode because Twitter had dark mode and I thought it was going to interrupt the feed. I also, back in the day when I was at Snack Nation, I knew that LinkedIn ads, like if you had different colors in LinkedIn ads, it, it, it converted better. So I was like, okay, let's have a different color that's interrupting the feed that's calling out very fast, big text, quick. I know people will probably be asking like, okay, but this doesn't bring in any results. Like it's just a page, blah, blah, blah. But if you do this, if you do this well, like my newsletter is growing at 10K a month just from my LinkedIn page. My podcast grows every month from my LinkedIn page. People reach out to me for like business requests just because of my LinkedIn page. People want to sponsor me just because of my LinkedIn page. So yes, like some of the information is a little basic, but I also think like some people aren't the audience. Like my audience is people I believe is the younger marketers who need the simple, quick advice that if they want to learn more, that's where you can bring people to a newsletter and podcast to explain what you're talking to. And if you want to eventually, if you want to learn more, you can bring them to like a vault of content where they can learn specifically from experts in that field. So I think there's a long-term play of like, when I think about social media now, I think you have to think of it in in different goal setting. So I think like your first goal to know social media is working is is your following going up or not and are people engaging or not. So when I first think about it is is did that happen? Yes or no. So I did that without thinking about conversion for a year. Then I was like, okay, a year later, I'm like, okay, now does this audience convert? Like, let's start testing it. And yes, now I'm bringing people to a newsletter. Now I'm bringing people to a podcast. Now I'm bringing people to do other things. So yes, it does convert. But I think if you think of two things at once, then you're just going to create content that is just self-serving for yourself and not for the audience. So I, you have to think about it. the first way is how could I get grow an audience? The second, you have to think now... Once I grow the audience, does it convert? If it didn't convert, for example, I would go to the drawing board and be like, okay, how can I create more relevant content for people to who to go to the next step of the, the process? But you can't just think of the full funnel. Like the first goal is to get attention online, like be top of mind. And marketing millennials is in the feed all the time. So it is top of mind all the time. And that's my only goal is to be is... When people think marketing, they think marketing millennials. And the only way to do that is be present and showing up all the time. And the way you do be present and show up all the time is have posts that have high engagement and high reach to show up in the feed. And even if the posts aren't that, I think they're pretty good, but like even if the posts aren't that great for people, I'm still in their feed all the time and they'll forget about the post. They'll just remember that Mark and Millions was in the feed yesterday. When we come back, Daniel and I talk about the growth of the Marketing Millennials company page and why he leans so heavily into sharing images right after this. Hey, welcome back. More than 500,000 followers and a ton of daily engagement on Daniel's company page still blows my mind. So I asked Daniel what growth looked like and what we can do to emulate that. There's been zero paid, so zero paid. But I would say what initially gave a boost to my page was having my own personal brand have like 25 to 30 thousand followers so i get started like boosting mark millennials for myself once i got mm. some people following then the content became great it's just like the network effect so once you start getting to a scale the scale comes big that you don't need other accounts to bring it up 
per se. So now, like, Mark Millennials does not get any help from it. But it never got help from I never asked people to, like, like Mark Millennials posts because I... I know on Twitter, it's a big thing to do this, but the way I thought about it was like, I was watching a lot of TikTok and back in like 2019. And I saw these houses coming up, like Hype House and Sway House. And I thought about like, okay, if I had two profiles, like pushing each other up, I mm-hmm. could get more attention. So I just used two of my profiles to do it. Yes, I think if you had other relevant pages helping you, that's a great way to do it too. But I think you focus on one or the other first, like focus on building your personal brand and then using it but you can start putting a little things in the like in the company page out there to start growing it a little bit so once I got to scale on my personal brand I knew I could have I can sustain that and sustain a company page at the same time but I didn't want to focus on that till I nailed LinkedIn down so the first thing was like I just understood stood LinkedIn now for I think marketing millennials to date now is growing at like 40,000 a month, 40,000 followers a month. Um, So it's growing really fast. But at first, I mean, I did get to 100,000 followers in like six, seven months. Like, um, but now the scale is like going even faster. I think this year alone, I've got like 250, like just from this year alone. So I think like once you get to levels of scale, you can scale it really fast. Um, I see on the posts where you're you're featuring other creators and their tweets or their posts, you attribute them, you tag them and attribute them. Do those people ever, do they ever feel negatively about you featuring or using their content to grow your page? Nope. Um, they actually are super appreciative because a lot of them, the, what I first did at first was these people didn't have followings on LinkedIn. So I was giving them a chance to grow their page. I've had one person my entire time reached up to me and say, take down the post. Most people actually are like sending me their posts to put on there. <laughs> and the thing about that is I have a very like high standard of like what should go on the page. And, and I have an understanding now that I've been consuming a lot of marketing content, what works and what doesn't. So like when I post things, there's a standard, a filter that I have that I don't post certain things on the page. I don't just take people's posts. I post what I want. It has to be something I found valuable. I found like if someone gave me something great, then I'll be like, okay. But a lot of the times it's just them trying to self-promote themselves. Like I come from playing offensive line and I've come from playing, being in a marketing operation. So I was never, I didn't want to ever be in the limelight. I always wanted to hype up other people to be in the limelight and in turn that that grows them. So I think what I'm trying to do is share great creators out there to share how, what marketing creators are out there so you could follow, follow them. I feel like if you put stuff on the internet, it's going to be reshared unless you have a private account. Like if you have a private account, it's not going to be reshared. If you have a public account, you want that post to go as far as possible and on multiple platforms as possible. So I think... That's what's easy about social media is like, if you do that, I still always have the intention that like, it's not about me. It's about my, like helping marketers and helping these creators get the attention. So I'm still like trying to bring up creators when I can and find the creators that I are doing great things and not a lot of people are looking at. Now I have a platform to do it, which I love that I can just bring up a creator and get them a following and post their content and share something great from them, which is a fun, fun thing to be able to do now. On your personal page, 
I would say two out of every three, maybe even three out of every four posts seem to be images or at least have an image as part of it. And a lot of those are tweets that you've put out that are text-based. So you've, you've chosen intentionally to use an image of a tweet of your own creation as opposed to using the text from your tweet. I imagine some testing went into that as well. Can you talk about that choice and why an image is the way to go? It's just easy to consume. Like I just thought of myself scrolling through LinkedIn feed and luckily the LinkedIn feed isn't that great. So it's like the way you get fed content is not that great. So like it's not hard to stand out in the feed of LinkedIn where like Twitter is a lot of it's who you follow and you get a lot of great stuff and you get mixed with a lot of great content. I think the bar is very low on LinkedIn of like great content. So it's easy to stand out. So, but images for me just stand out as I'm a visual person. I like consuming visually. I think it's easier to consume fast. I think people want quick tips. They don't want, even for me, when I see a long post, sometimes I'm just like, oh, I don't want to read that whole thing. Like, <laughs> I just think that I just think of myself as like the consumer and be like, okay, what would I like to consume? I think you also have to speak the language of a platform. I think like a lot of people, a lot of people come to me and say, I want to grow on LinkedIn. And I'm like, okay, are you willing to do these things with your content? Are you willing to post like this? And they say, no, I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing, but grow. And I'm like, okay, but you have to speak the language of the platform. You have to do what the, con the platform wants. If the platform changes, you start doing what the platform now is changing to. But as long as it starts working, you keep doing it until it stops working. Like the best ads, you, if you, you don't give up on the best ads, if they can keep converting, you keep converting them until they keep converting. So a lot of people aren't willing to do that. And I think a lot of it is very ego driven, but I also think it's also intention driven. I think like if you want to have 5,000 people following you that is just pure your audience pure and in, like in-depth content then yes like post in-depth content all the, all the time if you want to grow your following you need to start getting people in the outer circles and the rim that don't really know about marketing that want to learn about marketing that know about marketing but don't know about that part of marketing that know about that part of marketing but never heard you say something like that before you need more out there to cast a, a little bit of a wider net i think marketing's already niche enough like for for me i do go nicher in the sense that like my name technically has niched me down which is not intentional but it has doing the marketing millennials like most of my following is millennial marketers mm -hmm. But surprisingly, there's a lot of like younger people who want to learn from millennials also following. And then there's also like older people that want to learn from millennials that are following too. So I get both sides of things. But I think at the same time, it's like, it's what your end goal of what you're trying to do on the platform is. If you want to just be like a specified expert at one thing, you just stick with that one thing and go hard on the one thing. If you want to grow an audience bigger, like my audience, like you have to go broader and wider and simpler and figure out ways to get the most attention. People don't want to spend time on understanding like what makes a good post. Like even if you do a normal text post, like what makes a great post, like the first line has to have 
be eye catching. Otherwise, you it's like what makes anything good a good ad. Like first line has to be eye catching. Then the second line has to take you to the third line. The third line has to have some some story and meat that you get takeaways. And then at the bottom, you have a call to action for engagement. Like a lot of people just want to just throw posts out there and think it's going to work. But if you're not going to have like a strong hook to get people reading, have insights that people are like create an emotional response like okay i was either entertained there i was educated i was informed i never knew that and made me think differently and i never thought about something that way you're not going to create a great post i think a lot of people just think of it as oh my content's good because it's good information a lot of them do have good information but they, if they just restructure their post just a little differently they can reach a wider audience it's just they don't spend time on actually like formatting the posts for the platform it's like if you go to another country for example like that's different platforms like tiktok and linkedin like they're two different platforms it's like speaking if you speak linkedin on tiktok it's like speaking french in the united states like nobody's going to start understanding like what you're doing like you have to speak and do what the platform tells you to do what's the line though between being native to the platform but also this pattern interrupt that you've talked about a few times that seems powerful in its own way. How do you know where the line is of this interrupts the the pattern that people are used to, but it's not so far afield that people tune it out? I think that all comes with testing. I think you ha- you just have to try new things. I think a lot of people are stuck in best practices because they see other people doing things. And it just takes one or two people to start doing something different to change the way people act on a platform. I think a lot of people just follow other people. So it's just like, okay, this is how it's done. I should be doing it like that. I think that's one. I think two, it goes back to like general like marketing principles, like, like, in a sea of sameness, you have to be different. Do what you are great at on the platform. Like if you're great at video, like I think I'm not that great at video, so I don't do video. If I was great at video, I would be doing more native LinkedIn video stuff. Even though it doesn't get as much reach, it still is very builds personality, but it brings connection that you don't do. If you're a good writer, stick to like text posts because that's it. that's the thing. If you're good at creating images or understand images, create images if you're good at writing and know how to just use canva you can do the same thing with two things like image and 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 writing so i think it's also doing what's like native to you and what you're good at but i think you always got to be testing and testing new things if you want to stick out on a platform and you got to try new things like like threads used to not be a thing on twitter and now they're a huge thing but it took like a couple people to write great threads to start doing it and then some people discover that if you put images in each thread, it, it does it does better. And some people, so it just takes like people to tr- try things in new waves to make platforms like want to do that. And it takes a couple of people to be like, oh, that's interesting. Like, I like that. Oh, that's interesting. I like that. So, but it comes down to like going back to what I said before is like learning like fundamentally like what gets people's attention and what sticks out. And like a, an image with a bunch of text is basically a, a big headline that you're capturing attention and the headline's catchy, relevant, eye-opening, informative, educational, it's gonna get people to like and stop. So I think a lot of people just don't think about it like that. (laughs) 
I was not prepared to be so optimistic about the future of LinkedIn company pages, but Daniel showed us a real example here. So whether you take his advice and apply it to your personal profile or company page, I think you will see some success. If you want to learn more about Daniel, you can find him on LinkedIn. Just search Daniel Murray or find his company page, The Marketing Millennials. Links to both are in the show notes. Thanks to Daniel for being on the show. Thank you to Connor Connaboy for editing this episode and Nathan Todd Hunter for mixing our audio. Thank you to Emily Klaus for making our artwork and Brian Steele for making our music. If you like this episode, tweet at me at jklaus. Let me know. I'd love to hear from you. If you really want to say thank you, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you next week.